Welcome to the Idle Book Club for August 2016. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sarah Argadale. This month, we're discussing the short story collection Runaway by Alice Munro. But quickly, let's introduce the book we're going to be reading for this coming month. That is another short story collection, this by Raymond Carver, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love, which I kind of suggested on a whim because I realized I've never read Raymond Carver. And I, for whatever reason, just by coincidence, had heard him referenced by two different authors within the last few days. I think both on uh, NPR interview, Terry Gross interviews on Fresh Air. Um, and I thought, huh, I've never read any Raymond Carver. What about that? And you agreed. So Cool. Yeah. But this month, we are talking about Runaway by Alice Munro. So Sarah... You, as the known Monroe expert in these parts, mm-hmm. why don't you explain who this lady is? Sure. So, Alice Monroe is a Canadian short story writer who is, I would say, the most well-known living short story writer in English currently. She is the author of several collections of short stories and only one novel earlier in her career. And we can talk a little bit about the difference between novel writing and short story writing later on in this episode. Um, but she's won basically every English language prize that you can win for writing. And then also the Nobel in literature um, a few years ago. So she is a well-regarded writer and possibly my favorite author if I had to actually pick Mm-hmm. One, so I've read most of her short story collections, and this is your second one. Yes, I've read Dear Life, which was her her last, her last, and then before she she sort of officially retired, right? So she's still after she won the Nobel, right? right? So she published Dear Life, um, right around the same. I forget if it came out before or after they had announced that she was receiving the Nobel, and then shortly after that, she said that she's essentially retiring from writing. She pulled a Philip Roth. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both just old and aren't going to write anymore. Right. Um, yeah, so I read Dear Life, which I really liked, and then I read this, Runaway, which I also really liked. You know, as, as you said, as with most of her works, it's a short story collection. The stories are not, are, are in most cases, not directly related, although there is a very notable uh, very early in the book, stretch of three stories that concern three phases of life of of one character. But other than that, they're they're they don't share characters or plot lines. But I was surprised actually as the story went as the book went on, how much the title theme ran through these stories. And maybe in some cases I was uh, maybe in some cases I was reading into it because the you know because of the title of the book runaway but the you know the first the first story is about a character who literally attempts to run away and then changes well, her mind and but, that that story is actually titled runaway okay so that's runaway yeah um but a lot of the stories in this book i don't know maybe almost half of them i felt you could have given them that title and it would have basically worked and i thought that was interesting i am not surprised that this is a takeaway someone would have after reading Monroe's writing just because at least of the short story collections that I have have read, she really does have a, a very cohesive thematic focus in yeah. all of them. And that's it, it to me, it really feels like that's because she herself as a writer has a very clear thematic focus. Um, there's a really great New York Times review of this book written by Jonathan Franzen, which I think you have read. And he pointed out that Alice Monroe kind of unguardedly is just telling the same story over and over again in all of her short story writing. And I think that's really true. Which he doesn't mean in a pejorative sense. No, no. Quite the contrary, right? Because his argument is essentially that all writers are telling the same story. Like writers don't have an infinite number of stories that they can tell. So they're often repeating themselves in some way. And Monroe is just very direct about the fact that she, all of her stories involve a young Canadian woman who is smart and talented, but through (laughs) whatever her circumstances are, can not lead the kind of life that um, a young, talented, like bright young woman should be allowed to lead. And then she faces some kind of emotional 
problem. And then usually the short stories are being are reflections of this character. Like this character is is now old and reflecting back on on their youth. Like that's the story that she mm-hmm. likes to tell. And the fact that she's repeating that over and over again allows her to just get really, really good at focusing on those issues. Um, that's that's interesting because you're completely correct in that. But my experience of it was different. Maybe it's because I am not a woman. It, if someone had asked me to describe what these stories are about, I would have said small towns, but I don't think I would have said like a young woman growing up in the thing and she's smart, but she can't do the thing. Um, because that it to me the in, to- in total the project sort of feels like I mean you're totally right like I don't know why that why I wouldn't have I don't even know why I wouldn't have said that I, but the, but there it feels like a, a a reflection of life in a bigger way than than just women even though she's using women as her perspective characters right but I never felt like I was reading like women's stories or or something like that well that's I I think that's even though obviously I am because they're the story of women and to be fair women's stories is a, I, I a didn't very mean that in a, sure in a, like a whatever like women's magazine but but you're saying that these stories are able to capture more than just the perspective uh through which they're being told and usually that perspective is is young women or or older women and again like that may in part be because i didn't i haven't gone through particular experiences that women have that would allow the that particular perspective to gain even greater sort of purchase in my mind, right? To to borrow more from that Jonathan Franzen review, if I had my way, I would just, this whole episode would just be me reading that review <laughs> because it basically, it, it sums up her writing way better than I will ever be able to, but he describes her as having an almost pathological empathy for all of her characters, not yeah, just the ones definitely. that she's, and that's such a great way. Like Alice Monroe in her writing she even when she is not necessarily writing from the perspective of a very diverse range of people it's it's really usually women from rural mm-hmm. towns it, it, i i think very few of her stories are actually set in urban areas so despite that kind of narrow limitation that her settings often have it still feels like she is capturing something completely universal about humans and people and the way that we interact with each other. So, you know, you know, that's, I agree. And you know, the sort of thing that I had in my mind when I was reading this along those lines, you know, like in observing the world, you can look out and you can look at the entire planet or you can even go beyond the planet. And then there's a universe out there, right? There's like infinite stars and planets. And there's a whole science about, we we can learn all sorts of things about ourselves from sort of looking at the history of our universe. But then also you look down within like a particular atom and there's like an entire universe in that. And that also teaches us things about our world and reflects back up. And that is what when a Monroe collection feels like to me, right? Like in the aggregate of sort of telling the same story again and again, what she's really doing is telling a slightly different angle on this story again and again, or delving into a slightly different frame of mind or a slightly different experience. And from the sort of total, aggregation of all of these nuances like she's achieving the epic scope through specificity consistency and nuance and in doing that she is saying something more universal because she's excavated this particular like um strata of experience so fully that you can then it it allows you to sort of look further um because of the like depth of what you've learned there i i I should have like written this out first and thought about it before I started speaking it out of my mouth. But I do feel like there's something there. I mean, reading this book, even though you're reading about the same kinds of places and to some extent, the same kinds of people again and again, you, you do get something that feels like it's hugely encompassing of humanity somehow. Yeah. It's, it's kind of incredible what, what she's able to do because I, we keep calling this a, a book, but you know, technically it's a short story collection and every 30 to 40 pages, it's a new story with a different setting and sometimes completely different. Almost exactly 40 pages all the time. Yeah. It's like another bit of just. She's constancy. very consistent. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like really she, odd. she found the exact right, <laughs> right? like this yeah. porridge is too hot. This porridge is 
too cold. This forages. Right. And then even if she wants to say a lot more about one particular character, it's like, well, three 40-page chunks. Yeah. 40 pages is the correct number of pages, at least in this hardbound <laughs> I haven't, format. I haven't read the one novel that she wrote, but- Lives th- of Girls and Women. The general opinion is that it is one of her- weaker mm. pieces of writing which i'm not shocked by because she excels you know to to take your um i don't know if it's a metaphor or an, or an analogy sure. uh a little bit further about dealing with these epic stories versus these very uh I- individual like um intimate stories that that's even true just on the actual scale of the work because these generally the grand sweeping sagas are like close to a thousand pages long. Meanwhile, Alice Monroe hardly ever writes a short story that maxes out o- over 50 pages. And she is able to capture the same breadth of human existence that a thousand page novel can in 30 to 40 pages. It's it's amazing. And, and every time I read her, I'm always struck by this. So this is my second time um, reading Runaway specifically. I, I reread it for this episode. And I was struck by how reading her short stories is almost like binge watching an episode of, or not an episode, but an entire TV show. Uh, I don't know if you felt the same way, uh, but there would be, I would, you know, read a, read a story, get to the end of it, and immediately just want to roll into the the next the next story and every time I did that I was convinced that the the following story would would not be able to that I would mm. want to put the book down because I wasn't as engaged in in the way that sometimes you watch the next episode of a television show and you aren't sure like oh do I actually want to sit here for another hour to watch an- another episode but then you know a couple minutes in and you're hooked again it's like oh I have to mm-hmm. get to the end of this sure. and it just that keeps happening and happening it's so funny that is the opposite of my experience oh wow yeah that is almost the opposite of my experience I almost never felt when I got to the end of a story that I wanted to roll right onto the second which is maybe why it took me longer than it should have to read this short story collection I almost always felt that when I got to an end of one of these stories I had to let it digest and there were some cases where um I would say most notably fairly early in the book, um, the story in which Juliet visits her Juliet, this character who is the subject of three back to back stories. Um, the, the second of those stories, she visits her parents, um, as, as an adult with a, with a new baby. And the, the family dynamics depicted in that story were so, uh, that family was not similar to my family in any literal sense, but many of the dynamics expressed were similar, eerily resonant enough that by the end, I couldn't be in this book anymore for like a day. I, it was, and I, I, I do have that experience. I had that experience a couple times reading this, this book where I, I would get to the end of a story and I would say, well, okay, Let's just set this down for a little while and I'm going to go do something stupider. <laughs> uh, that that definitely happened to me a few times. Um there were also a couple of cases where I it took me a little bit of time to get into the to the to a story to the point where I thought I maybe was missing something and in 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 notably I'm thinking of Trespasses, the story about Lauren, the child of the sort of I don't know. They're kind of like hippie parents, right. you know. Liberal. Yeah. There's. I don't know. Are they swingers? Maybe. It sounds like they almost had a key party. Was being described That's at one the point. Implication. In the, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that starts off in the opening of that story is also the end of that story, and then it 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 sort of most of the story takes place in this sort of almost flashback. Where, Which is a very, very common way for that Monroe mm-hmm. Wright stories. It's never linear, even when you expect it it to be. They, it's it's often a loop in right. in that way. Um, which again is is amazing that she can do that with such a small space. Like she, it, it feels like everything is encompass- encompassing this incredible amount of time. But anyway, so oh, so sure. I mean, I don't have much else to say about. What didn't this. you like about? It's not that I didn't like it, but I remember feeling so confused. I think maybe in part because the characters were actually somewhat unusual for Monroe, um, at least in some ways, and the the setup was also unusual. And I remember it just it took me. I think I got about five pages in, and then I searched on the internet for 
Alice Monroe trespasses just to find any sort of plot summary, which is always difficult with short story collections. And I think the first thing I, cl- I clicked on, someone said something like, this story is told in a circular fashion. I said, okay, I guess I'm not, I guess it's fine. I'm, I'll just assume I'm supposed to be confused for a little bit and then I'll be fine. Um, I don't expect most people to have had that experience. I was just, uh, who knows? Um, but since you bring up this notion of nonlinearity and circularity, I think it'd be interesting to talk about, I mean, we should, we should talk about a few of these stories in detail maybe, but what did you think of the last story, which was maybe the most, uh, I would say pattern breaking story in the collection one, and that it was longer two, and that it was split up into different sections that were not given their own short stories. They were actually just delineated into different segments of the story. They were formatted differently in that the first section was, was, uh, a diary it was given there was an explicit framing device and then it was a diary of a character which is none of the other stories are and then it was um it became an epistolary well it started as an epistolary novel right because it was a diary oh does it it it, it, you can i didn't realize that you could define that even if you weren't writing to so you're writing to yourself then i guess i figured that counted but maybe not but but then later on she's they're actually exchanging the the main character nancy is exchanging letters with other mm-hmm. characters so then it becomes like the right. classical definition of sure. <laughs> anyway um right and uh i i thought that story was quite fascinating especially because so a thing i don't associate with monroe that i think is co- is common in certainly in some short stories is the unreliable narrator. You know, I think a lot of short stories have this sort of lock and key um, structure, and then there's something at the end that sort of blows your mind. And there's actually one story in this book that I think follows that, that we can talk about. But uh, but um, I often think of short stories as sort of having like a lesson or sort of some kind of uh, positing a hypothesis or sort of giving you something like really crazy to to think about. I think that's one of the things that I think that um, stereotype of short stories, which surely is not fully accurate, I think is one of the things that has led me to not read as many short stories as I perhaps should have, which is maybe why I'm only reading my second Monroe and next month I'll be reading my first Carver. But there are a couple stories in this collection that tread a little more into that water in some cases, I think more successfully than others. And I really, really liked this last one in part because you actually have not an unreliable narrator, but sort of an unreliable narrative. You know, we get the narrator and she encounters, um, or not the narrator, we get the perspective character who encounters this childhood friend. Let's let's name these characters I'm to sorry, make it a I little easier. It's okay. So the the main character of that story's name is Nancy. Nancy yeah. And the childhood friend's name Tessa. Tessa. Right? And Am then yeah. Ollie is the husband. So right. Nancy goes to visit um, Tessa in this mental institution that's being closed down, and Tessa doesn't have any. Basically, that they the institution wants Nancy to take Tessie T- Tessa home with her, and and mm-hmm, Nancy does not a family member, so right? She she, she doesn't, thing, yeah. and Tessa has ESP powers. It it is stated, which is well. What, I don't know if it's stated that she actually has the powers, but it's stated that people believe she does, including and, herself, possibly. And her husband, which is why she's in the mental institution in the first place. And so it's implied that Tessa had a vision of what happened to her her ex-husband, Ollie, and that he was maybe murdered. And Oh, that's funny. I didn't I didn't I didn't take it to be that way. Her vision is is like he's got something around his his neck and a, a black cape over mm-hmm. his head i think it is and and so and she feels very definitive that he's dead so i i took that to mean maybe she saw him being killed oh i took that to mean that she i thought what she was saying was well he must be dead because i don't know what else happened to him that was how i sort of took it so so that happens right nancy talks to mm-hmm. tessa after going decades without having seen her and then a year later she just happens to run into ollie in a different city and gets a different version of events where he's telling her about how he and Tessa had like a magician's uh, act together. And that's mm-hmm. where the black cape from Tessa's vision reappears. So I didn't necessarily interpret that to mean that Ollie was just lying to. Well, but he says Tessa died with him. 
so that it wasn't Tessa who Nancy was speaking to? I mean, maybe that's... No, no. no. I mean, she. you don't think Nancy would know who her friend is? I don't know. These all, these people are all supposed to be in oh, advanced I age. I mean, I could be totally wrong, but I took it to mean that Ollie was just telling Nancy an untrue series of events. Oh, it's interesting that we have totally different interpretations of this. So that, <laughs> I guess that, that, that is unusual. But is that some, the fact that we can have this discussion at all, I feel is unusual from Monroe Short story because one of their hallmarks, I think typically is that they are very straightforwardly told. And I, I think one of the things that makes her a sort of really shockingly good writer is how she's able to use such plain, straightforward language in ways that feel impossibly evocative and, and, um, her stories often have some very sense of foreboding or some tension or or something over them, despite the fact that she's she's not doing anything formally weird. But this story is kind of formally weird. the The aspect of this story that I find very appealing is that you're you're totally right that Nancy is kind of an unreliable narrator. Um, the beginning of oh, I don't, I didn't think Nancy was. Oh, okay. So I. Definitely did. Oh, interesting. Because Nancy, she's the first character. So th- this story is also unique in this collection and, and you know, unique in, in a lot of Monroe's writing in that we get more than one character perspective. We see the story first from Nancy's perspective and then a little bit from Ollie's when they're mm-hmm. younger. And that that's unusual, right? To, to shift perspective right. in that way. And so when Nancy is first introduced, she's introduced in a typical Monroe uh, protagonist fashion. You know, you think she's going to be just like all the other women that these stories are, you know, told from their viewpoint. And then we see Nancy from Ollie's perspective, and it's definitely a little bit m- less positive than the way that Nancy is presenting herself and and then the way that at least I was seeing the other female characters in this collection because they're all presented in the same way as Nancy and then finally getting to see these women Can you think of an example of of the different way Nancy's presented from from Ollie's view mm-hmm, the, than the, the way that she, so she because it's from her perspective she just seems like a a bright engaging sociable woman and then when ollie when you're seeing her through ollie's eyes he's thinking about how um she's almost too energetic around people and just like her interaction oh that wasn't shocking to me at all because we learned from her own retelling that she sort of had like tries to play these weird practical jokes on people and they don't really go over well and she doesn't understand why so to me, that was sort of consistent. With, she just had that one experience with the doctor. Yeah. Her future but, husband. But that was right after she did. Didn't she do the same thing to her dad or something? Or she had some other joke that she played in someone. I don't know. I got the sense that she was a somewhat oblivious person. Because I was just in the mindset of, oh, this is just another woman who I recognize uh-huh. from all these other stories. And it was a shock sure. to see a person like that described by by a, a more critical eye than just the kind of omniscient style of, of writing that is is usual in, in Monroe's stories. And mm-hmm. so I like that almost deconstruction of oh, yeah. the typical Monroe oh, sure. protagonist. Okay, that's that's a totally good point. I guess when I was saying I don't see her as an unreliable narrative, narrator, I just meant the literal plot events. I meant that the – I don't think she was misrepresenting – because because the story isn't technically told from her perspective, right? Um, oh, I mean, just her I diary guess entries are unreliable narrator in the sense that maybe the way that Monroe is describing these w- women, you cannot take right. I on know. Its I, face. I, sure, that's. I think that's that may be true. I was just talking about the actual what happened, like literally the plot, um, because the plot is is presented when we learn different things about what happened to these characters, and then different characters disagree about what happened and then the narrative itself which is that um which is that uh Tessa is alive or was alive as of a year ago is directly contradicted by something that uh Ollie tells Nancy and I just thought that was interesting because I don't remember a lot of examples of it because a part of what was interesting about it is that Nancy doesn't stop and reflect on that or she doesn't push back or say anything about it or call attention to it and the narrative doesn't either Ollie was 
simply misrepresenting events, probably to make himself more sympathetic, I would think. Anyway, there's another story, I think, that I wonder if it's one of the ones you liked less. And it's the one that that centers around the visit to the Shakespeare play. Um, do you remember the name of this story? It's called Tricks. Tricks. What did you think of Tricks? Um, I, I I actually really liked Tricks. Oh, okay. I re- it's funny. I thought you were going to say you didn't because I really liked it right until the end. Oh, God. I love the ending oh, of really? this story. Okay. So let's set up really quickly this plot. Uh, Tricks is about this young woman who's name i can't joe robin robin who leads the kind of life where the like the we are made to understand that the one thing that she does to kind of treat herself every year is that she takes the train into town and goes to this whatever shakespeare play is currently being put on that summer and a, a year ago from when the story starts she ran into this where is he from montenegro mm-hmm. anyway she she happens to run into this man and has this one of those like f- fictional meetings between a, a man and a woman that you almost can't believe could could happen in in real life where they really only talk to each other for a couple of hours but they feel some kind of connection and he says I'll I'll look for you in a year when you come back for the the next play but, uh, and then so she comes back and she she sees him and he basically turns away from her and she feels rejected and and upset and and then the, the the book flash or the story flashes forward like several decades later and she's an older woman still working as a, a nurse and she uh just happens to be working at the hospital where she sees this man's dead body um and she reads his his records and she discovers that he is actually a twin and and she supposes that the the man who rejected her all all that time ago was actually this this guy's twin brother, and that it was just this who's deaf mute. I mean, that's the reason he specifically. It is that he, this other person she encountered was cannot communicate with her meaningfully, and and you know has severe social anxiety or whatever. Right. So the whole she has this realization at the end of the story that you know we, we've we learned that um in the ensuing years after this this rejection or what she thinks is rejection she has um sexual relationships but but never gets married never has a a long term relationship with a partner and it, the I think the implication is in in part that she is so um was so upset by that rejection that she just wasn't able to recover from it basically. And then, you know, in the end she, she learns that it's just this like comedic mistake that happened. Right. And then she explicitly references Shakespeare. She has that line about how in Shakespeare plays, there are always twins. There are always these like Mm -hmm. comical mistakes that are happening. And so I, I love that. It's not my favorite Monroe story, um, but I will always defend it because the ending admits how it, like farcical the entire story feels from the from mm. the first moment she meets this guy and they have this instant connection and they're passionately kissing each other on the train platform and he's telling her you know don't come back i don't want to see you again until a year from now so we can meet under the most contrived circumstances the whole thing is is kind of ludicrous so i i i appreciate that the ending just goes full into that to a point where it it just it's just funny i i find it to be really kind of funny i totally buy that argument i guess the reason it didn't feel sort of funny to me at the end is maybe maybe for the for the you know in the same sense that you you described interpreting a certain character maybe differently than I did because you were looking at her in the context of all these other Monroe women, whereas that's probably the same thing that happened to me in a different sense that I'm so accustomed to reading these stories that maybe have brief moments of levity, but aren't intrinsically farcical. You know, her stories are so grounded and so plainly told that the idea of a story that sort of subverts itself in that sort of, in that tongue in cheek way Maybe it was just something I wasn't primed for, and maybe I should have just not had any preconceptions. Um, but I did like uh, a thing I really liked about that story, and maybe this actually should have primed me for expecting something different. But I thought that story played with the 
often very ominous pallor of short stories really well. It opens the first words of, of that story, which is tricks. The first words are, I'll die, said Robin on an evening years ago. I'll die if they don't have that dress ready. And I remember like the when my eyes first hit the page and the first words were, I'll die. I'm like, oh my God, it's an Alice Monroe story. Someone's going to like, of, there, of course, someone has some fatalistic, you know, outlook or like just some depressing life that's just going to end in nothing important happening or whatever. I don't know. I mean, there are things, there are Monroe stories like that. And then it's, and then it's just, you know, a young person being hyperbolic. And the, the story keeps kind of doubling back on itself early on. The, the story just sort of drops um, now that all of the parents were dead, like there's, we just sort of, after this like fake out, I'll die. We then learn, oh, this family is actually in fact full of death already. Um, so that was, that was clever. And then when Robin first meets this stranger, the story is like putting down all of these kind of warning cones about how suspicious these circumstances is, are like, isn't it strange that she's not concerned that she finds this man who instantly invites her to his home. Oh, he says shop first. And then he says house. And isn't that an odd inconsistency? And Oh, isn't it weird that he doesn't have money, but he can just go and get it out of the register whenever he needs it. And the narration is explicitly saying how strange it is that she's not picking up on any of this. But then like a page later, we learn, Oh, it's actually totally fine. And he, and nothing untoward is going on at all. And it's great. And that I thought was really, I really just enjoyed the sort of up and down of that. I thought you were going to see the thing about the I'll die sentence that I absolutely love is, is that, uh, you know, she says that and we find out she's upset because she didn't have the, Oh yeah. Right. She thinks that she's not going to get a dress back in time from the cleaners to wear it to this play. And and through the story, we, we learn that for their, meeting that's supposed to happen a, a year later this man has requested that she wear the same, right, green, same green dress and so yeah. she's not able to do that she has to wear a a different dress and and the story ends with like this her kind of just you know shaking her head and saying like oh if only i had worn the right dress i wish i, I didn't get that though what would have been different if she'd worn a different dress i mean this is a, a story that's uh, uh, like just Again, kind of like a a Shakespeare play where your fates are decided by these mundi- mundane uh-huh. details. Like, you know, he said, meet me a year later and, and do your hair in the same right. way. So it's and more where, of a cosmic right. irony or whatever, what have you, where it's, it's not as though that actually set a sort of sequence of events into motion that caused her to not see the guy. It was more that the sort of laughing gods decided, declared that because... She didn't follow the instructions to the letter. Mm-hmm. Now she'll, you know, die alone or whatever. But the, the the other aspect of this ending that I I really like is she has that realization. You know, she has this moment where she sees this dead man and 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 f- finds out that something that she had thought was true for decades is actually incorrect. And and her reaction is just kind of like, oh, I should have worn that other dress, right? You that's know, true. Yeah. God, it's anyway. I I completely understand why somebody reading this story especially where it happens in this collection where there's not really anything super um farcical in the in the same way that this is would would have a, a weird reaction to it but i i appreciate its humor yeah that, it's like a coen brothers movie almost. sure right but i totally buy your your argument certainly even if it wasn't wasn't my visceral reaction to the thing or, or my immediate reaction i should say the combination of that story and, and the interpretation you offer of it, as well as the way the last story is told, makes me actually kind of wish that, and I guess we'll never get this now, that in her writing career, Monroe had explored those sort of more sly storytelling styles at greater length or, or at, in greater number. Because I I think there's a lot there, you know, but the the... By just percentage, the majority of her writing is in a much straighter style, which is also, I mean, utterly excellent. But it's interesting reading these other little flashes of something very different stylistically. So, sorry, you were about to describe your favorite story in the book. Um, so, my favorite story is the one called 
Passion. Do you remember which one this is? I do. And you could have also called this Runaway. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So Passion is the... God, where to start? I, I, The thing that I like about Monroe, and, th- and this is probably, if I am a little bit honest with myself, the reason why I like her so much is is because all of her characters are or the majority of her characters are are women in in their 20s who are trying to figure out their emotional maturity and and navigating relationships with men and and because that's something that I have personal experience with I find it really engaging and in particular this story um which is basically about you know again typical Monroe protagonist this young bright woman who it comes from a poor background background um she can't go to college she's probably it's also set in a time period where her options are 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 basically you know she's going to get married and and that's the kind of life that she's going to have and she's in a relationship with this uh young man who she like it's very clear that she doesn't actually love um or or feel passionate right they seem kind of like buddies Right. But but he's from her, take, taking from, it for granted that they're going to get married. And she is seemingly just getting carried along with that because she doesn't really know better mm-hmm. more than any, for any other reason. And because she likes his family. Right. Yeah. She really likes his parents. Yeah. And and then the whole the the like crux of the story is her going on this night long like adventure with this guy's older brother where they never actually have sex with each other, but there's this strong like implication that 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 is the the reason why she- yeah, it almost reads like she's having a sexual awakening to the point that I kept thinking there was some explicit like suggestion that they were having sex because it actually comes up directly like the 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 words you know sex are like raised in that passage, and I kept thinking I was missing something. But I think it's just that she's having an internal experience or they both, you know, they're sharing a, some kind of experience that's not consummated, I suppose. Is that yeah. what we're meant to take? Yeah. Well, I, I see it as she she agrees to to go off alone with this older man. And at, at first, she understands the implication to be that they will, they're, they are going off alone so that they both can, so that they can have sex together. And um, when that is not what happens, you know, ba- basically what ends up happening is that this guy is an, an alcoholic and he, he drives her all around to, to various places where he can get alcohol and, and she in the end basically has to drive him, he, he passes out and she has to, to drive him home. So instead of it being an expl- instead of it being an affair in a kind of titillating way, it's m- more this emotional affair that she has um which is i also found to be fairly harrowing because the guy i mean the guy is basically drunk and she never really consents in a straightforward way to what's going on she sort of just is carried along you know on in the sort of heat of the moment right um the and then he ends up you know, getting killed in a car crash. Right. Yeah, that's how so, it, it I mean, ends. It's, it's I, I found it to be a fairly terrifying read. Well, so the title of this st- story is Passion, and you have this young woman who, you know, from her perspective, she she doesn't really have any prospects in her her life, right? And she's in this dull relationship that she doesn't feel passionate about, but she's in, kind of going through the motions because that's what's expected of someone like her. And she meets this older man who she expects to have some kind of passionate encounter with. And then, you know, like you said, it turns out to be so much more harrowing and intense than probably what she was even imagining. And I just so strongly recognize that feeling from, from being, I mean, even well, to a lesser extent now, because, you know, now I'm married and I'm not like (laughs) cavorting around with, uh, yeah, (laughs) But that that sensation of being younger and not entirely sure of what it is that you want or and then also not understanding what men want from you, but thinking you kind of have have an idea mm. and, and letting yourself being led around by those emotions and not ever knowing where it's actually going to take you. I that aspect of the story, I it's it. 
you know, you said um, that you had to stop reading after the the sh- story mm. about the parents. Like this for me is so in- right. intense. Um, it's a common threat. I was I, one note I jotted down while I was reading this is that many Alice Monroe stories seem to be about moments in the lives of women who seem like they're being carried along some tide um, very often by an older or otherwise more experienced man who like taps into some kind of visceral or previously unknown desire or instinct that the woman has or is like allowing her to express. Does that seem, I mean, that seems like a not uncommon thread in Monroe stories. Yeah. And so I guess that's, you know, I, I can't experience that quite in the same direct way that you can, um, you know, for previously stated reason, but, uh, but that does seem like something that she returns to frequently. Yeah, definitely. And then often those same women are in some way destroyed by absconding with the, these men, um, n- not in, not in the sense where they are like sexually shamed, um, but just more that they have this encounter that drastically alters them in some way. And, and then it basically allows them to become a, a mature person almost, which I think is why her stories often are told from the perspective of older women looking back on their youth. And it's like mm. they're remembering the moment in their youth when they grew up, basically. Right. So there's this w- one line or not, not a line, but rather this section from passion that I I think kind of gets at the fear that drives these women in, in Alice Monroe stories. Um, this is the the person speaking is Mrs. Travers, who is the the mother of uh, the the main character's boyfriend, fiance, whatever. So she uh, pseudo fiance is what I called fi- him in my notes. <laughs> so fiance. Um, so the Mrs. Travers is talking about the novel Anna Karenina. Um, I don't know how many times I've read it, but I know that first I identified with Kitty, and then it was Anna. Oh, it was awful with Anna. And now, you know, the last time I found myself sympathizing all the time with Dolly. Dolly, when she goes to the country, you know, with all those children, and she has to figure out how to do the washing. There's the problem about the wash tubs. I suppose that's just how your sympathies change as you get older. Passion gets pushed behind the wash tubs. So I don't know if if you're how familiar you are with Anna Karenina. I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I can explain to you what Anna Karenina is. <laughs> but the it, it's like she's she's going through the phases of 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 womanhood almost where Kitty um Katerina and with the Russian name is the the kind of flighty teenager who has the the view of love that a, a teenage girl would have where it's just th- these grand sweeping mm-hmm. emotions and then anna is obviously anna karenina who gets swept up by her passions and you know we all know what happens to her in the end um and dolly is the woman who is kind of the suffering wife character um who is is just like a a, a mother and doesn't have space for any of these like burning em- emotions in the way that Kitty and certainly Anna do. And so I, I love that passage because it's like, here's, a, I think, a common fear of probably men and women, right? Where you're, you're afraid that as, as you get older, you're, you're, there will be no room for passion or emotion in your life. And so when you're younger, you take, whatever risks that are presented to you to try to capture those feelings. Mm -hmm. And what I think is great about Alice Monroe is that she both sympathizes with the youthful drive to, to act that way. But then also when these characters eventually do reach old age, it's not like a punishment for them. You know, she finds also the joy and the passion that, that comes from those circumstances. So she has great, um, respect for the entire spectrum of human existence. And I, and what's really fascinating about her is 
as you read her short stories, the, the older and older you, she gets, you know, the more she, she pays attention to people and later in, in, you know, older ages, which makes sense because she herself is, is older and the, um, nuance that she just affords to, to people of all ages and just having these women characters who feel one way when they're younger, but, are happy to grow up into the the women who they eventually become. So I think Monroe just nails that entire experience. So earlier you alluded before we wrap this up to a story to a story or stories you were not as crazy about. What what were those? Oh, um, you know, I I like them all fine. Um, the one that I I didn't like the first time and didn't particularly grow on me the second time I, I read this was the the third story in the Juliet series, the one where Juliet's daughter mm. is Yeah, was, that was a that was an odd one. Um that it just I, I don't that that one with the plot of her daughter is in some cult and they haven't seen each other in, in decades. That one felt a little bit far fetched to me, um, in a way that the other stories that are kind of far fetched um, didn't bother me as much because they kind of earn that um, in my mind. Although I, I really like the the first two parts of that Juliet trilogy. Yeah, I did too. So despite some reservations about a few of the stories in this collection, it's, it seems like we're we're both pretty. Well, I know that I'm fairly positive <laughs> on Monroe, but how how to? No, I, I am as well. I I I think there's. Criticism sometimes made of Monroe, including, uh, you know, maybe a couple people in our forum thread about this book that her formula can sometimes be so consistent as to detract from the overall effect. But I, I didn't really have, I didn't find that to take away from the power of, of this collection. And they're the two collections I've read so far. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm converted. I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Having, read the majority of these collections at this point I, I, at least for me the the repetition of the the story structure never feels old because she she is constantly finding new aspects to examine in her writing so even if kind of the the bones of the the structure re- remain the same, everything else that encases in, in it, it, it always feels different to me. And you were going to read a, a forum, a, a forum post that I think is sort of related to what we're talking about. Am I right? Or am I thinking of a different, a different post? If you're wrong, you can find the one that you're thinking okay. of. But um, I want to read part of a forum post by Marginal Gloss, who I'm, I'm, I know I've, I've read his stuff on here a lot before, but. So th- this is from the idle forums. If you go to idlethumbs.net and click the forums link, uh, on that page, you can find a dedicated sub forum, uh, for the idle book club. And that has a thread for every book we've read so far. And it's a really great place to discuss these books with our community. And it's always, always really great reads. So I'm just going to read some of this, but Monroe's prose has a Monroe's prose has a kind of snowballing effect. The gradual accumulation of characterful details that at first seem kind of disconnected, almost meaningless, until the weight of all this observation attains its own momentum and careers through the story under its own energy. The stories are not without tension and drama, of course, but I always feel as a reader that Monroe has everything absolutely under control. There's something quietly commanding about her writing as she were always taking the long view and the wider context over the short-term thrill of sensation. That's such a good that's such a good post and we didn't really talk very much about her language, but I think that's uh, very well put. She goes out of her way to call attention to particular details at particular moments never egregiously never sort of wantonly but sometimes confusingly or or uh, until you realize what's going on it's i and sometimes what's going on is nothing more than just a a, a sort of tonal gauze put over the thing you know sometimes it's not even necessarily and uh, crucial to the plot but there's always a reason for the details she points out and her words are chosen very carefully despite usually being fairly straightforward and you you do get the sense of someone who is just an utter 
craftsperson, you know, someone who who just is meticulous in how uh, she tells her stories, but without feeling labored or overly worked. Yeah, the the best example of that that I c- can think of is her use of um, names for for trees and and flowers, where she has a, a tendency to actually call out the different kinds of, of foliage that a character is is looking at, like beyond what any what I think most normal human beings. But maybe if you <laughs> live in like a rural part of the the world, sure, maybe that's just part of your life. I think in a a a lesser writer that that use of um detail would come across as if somebody is just opening up like wikipedia or an encyclopedia or something and thinking like well what are all the kinds of trees that would be in this area let me write them down but but when she deploys something like that it's it it really feels like she is creating this space and it 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 doesn't feel like an author just using a thesaurus or something to to mm-hmm. list things out like there's a clear intention and all that you can meet her someday and ask her oh my god i would love to meet alice Monroe someday <laughs> Yep. She knows what she's doing with words. Yeah. So thank you for joining us uh, for this edition of the Idle Book Club. You can send us mail at books at idlethumbs.net, which we love to read. You can discuss these novels or, or, or collections with other listeners of this podcast at the Idle Forums, which you can find at idlethumbs.net. Click forums and there's an Idle Book Club forum on there. Um, we're also on Twitter at uh, Idle Book Club. And we are next month, this coming month, reading What We Talk About When We Talk About Love by Raymond Carver, which is a much slimmer short story collection than the Monroe. It'll be interesting to compare those having read uh, short story collections in succession like that, which is, I think neither of us are huge readers of, of short stories. So this will be an interesting yeah, comparison. Yeah, I'm excited about, this will also be my first time reading Raymond Carver. So I'm really excited. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, thanks for joining us and we will talk to you all next month. Bye. Bye. Bye.